You're welcome to actually be on your cell phone this morning during my sermon. Uh, we will assume that you are texting questions to that number about the topic at hand, because we're going to have a Q&A. We'll assume you're texting questions and not playing games on your phone, even if you are, in fact, playing games on your phone. We're going to assume the best about you. So we are, uh, we're continuing in this uh, Lessons from the Garden series, and today we're focusing on ecology. Some of you are like, what's that? Some of you are like, who cares? Ecology is the study of how organisms interact with each other in an environment. We're also going to talk about environmentalism. Environmentalism is awareness and action aimed at protecting and preserving the environment. Now, I have to confess to you right off the bat that I have never in my 25 years as a pastor preached a message on ecology or the environment. In fact, I don't know that I've ever even mentioned it in a sermon. And here's why. Uh, For one thing, I just have a hard enough time trying to figure out how to live in loving harmony with God and people to worry about the rest of creation, like the land, the sky, the sea, the animals, the birds, the fish. I mean, who has time to worry about staying informed on issues like pollution and deforestation and recycling when I've got three kids who've got to get to sporting events and social events and and school events. I mean, who has time and energy for the environment? (laughs) I don't. I think I've also avoided the topic because I assumed uh, that all environmentalists were tree-hugging, pot-smoking hippies (laughs) who aligned with angry political liberals like Al Gore and Michael Moore. And I've, so I've, I've viewed environmentalists with suspicion. I've viewed environmental issues with cynicism. Um, and I, I, I thought, I was convinced that the issue was political. And then I realized that long before Al Gore was bursting a vein in his neck, yelling at people about the environment, God told humanity to care for creation. This is not, environmentalism is not a liberal political issue. It is a biblical theological practice. Christian environmentalism is not oxymoronic. It's actually biblical. There is no other kind of Christian. (laughs) When we allow our politics to determine our theology instead of allowing our theology to determine our politics we betray god and diminish our witness to the world if you're trying to figure out this morning if i'm on the left trying to attack the right or if i'm on the right trying to attack the left good luck (laughs) i still don't know who i am i do know this i do know this i am trying my best by the grace of God, to read Scripture without a political lens over top of it skewing its truth. 
That's what I'm trying. And one thing I know about you in the seven or eight months I've been with you as your pastor, Lakeview Wesleyan Church cares deeply about knowing and applying the Word of God to your lives. That I know. So I've been trying in this Lessons from the Garden series to convince you that a lot of the issues that we assume are political are actually biblical. Because there's more at stake than a political battle between the right and the left. The gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. Sojourners puts it this way. Let's put that quote up. Next slide. Is the sound person sleeping? Is the machine frozen? Okay, I'll just read it. Uh, Imagine if, Sojourners puts this on our website, imagine if Christians had been on the forefront of protecting our earth, if they actually viewed the world as God's creation and the animals as God's animals and the uh, the plants as God's plants and land as God's land, what if Christians were viewed as protectors of creation, shielding millions of acres of land, restoring polluted areas, protecting animals from cruelty and exploitation? Why is going green seen as a political statement instead of an act of following God? Unfortunately, environmentalism has been associated with everything but Christianity. This needs to change. Let's go back to the garden and see what God has to teach us from Genesis 1 and 2. Three verses I want to throw at you uh, regarding this issue. Uh, Chapter 1 of Genesis, verses uh, 28 and 31. Going to start there. So in in Genesis 1, 28, uh, it says, God blessed them. And said to them, uh, be fruitful in humanity, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the, air, in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Fill, subdue, and rule, God told us. Now, what we need to read there is that God is not telling us to exploit, but enjoy creation. God is telling us to have dominion, not domination. To use creation, not abuse it. Because just a few verses later, Genesis 1.31, God, after creating all that there is, kind of just sits back, and I imagine him just laughing with, with joy. <sighs> This is good. Oh, this is very good what I made. You get the sense that God not only loves humanity, he does, but he loves all that he created. It's his masterpiece. And to love God is to love what God loves. God loves creation. He loves what he made. And then we get to Genesis 2, verse 15, which is really the heart of uh, creation care. It's the first job description that God gives to humanity. Really, his first command to people. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's the first job description. Work it and care for it. Uh, Translated literally means to serve the land, to protect the land. 
It's the police officer motto backwards. Police officers say they're called to protect and serve. The command God gives us is to serve and protect creation. Can a Christian be an environmentalist? My question is, how can a Christian not be? (laughs) Well, uh, that's just Genesis. How about the rest of the Bible? Let let me just give you sort of a few verses from the Old Testament. Uh, I could give you a lot more. Once you see it, you can't not see it. You can't unsee it. Just a few verses from the Old Testament. Leviticus 18. If you defile the land, God says, it will vomit you out. Leviticus 25, uh, the, the land every seven years is to enjoy a Sabbath. Just like God rested on the seventh day, don't farm your lands on the seventh year. Let it recover. Let it rest. Let it have Sabbath. Numbers 35, you shall not pollute the land in which you live. You shall not defile the land in which you live. God says, because I dwell there too. In Deuteronomy 20, uh, talking about warfare. If you're going up against another nation and you're in a war and you're besieging that nation uh, in order to take it, you must not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. Although you may take food from the trees, you must not cut them down. And here's my least favorite verse on creation care. Proverbs 12 says, "...the righteous care for the needs of their animals." which means I have to care for my cat and my dog. And now my kids know it. And Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Well, that's the Old Testament. (laughs) We're New Testament people, right? How about Jesus and ecology? Let's just go one place. Let's go to John's Gospel. John begins his Gospel with a bang. I guess you could say a big bang. (laughs) He wants to reverberate back to the garden, back to creation. He starts his Gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, talking about the eternal Son who became incarnate in Christ. And he says these words, chapter 1, verse 3 of John. He says, uh, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. It means that all of creation has come from the Son through the Son to us. And then we get to that most famous verse in the Bible which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not just love humanity. God did not just love the human soul. The Greek word is kosmon, which means all of the world, the planet, the universe. God loves the world. And if we love God, we'll love what God loves and God loves the world. Well, how about Paul and ecology? I'm more of a Pauline kind of person. I'm going to go right to Romans. I can go a lot of places. I'll go right to Romans. Romans chapter 1. Paul says that, that creation 
and its beauty bears witness to the nature and the existence of God. Chapter 1 of Romans, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul is saying that creation is an apologetic evidence that there is a God. It's exhibit A in evidence for the existence and the character of God. If we had no Bible, if we had no understanding or awareness that Jesus Christ has come, Paul is saying that creation itself is enough to point people to the reality of God's existence. The flip side is this. Every time we fail to care for creation, we diminish the beauty of creation as a finger pointing to the power and the majesty of the God who made it and loves it. Some of my best moments with God have been catalyzed by the beauty of creation. And then Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8, verses 19 to 22. Paul, in this passage, is basically asserting that the earth won't be destroyed. It'll be like us, redeemed, restored, resurrected. Uh, there are passages in Scripture, and we can talk about this later in the Q&A, that seem to imply that the earth is going to be destroyed. Uh, but, but, but not according to Paul. What happened to Jesus being resurrected and what will happen to us being resurrected will also happen to the cosmos, the world. It will be resurrected. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus didn't just come to save human souls. He came to save the planet that he made and loves we get to partner with Christ, not only in redeeming and restoring humanity back to the garden, but redeeming and restoring the creation away from its corruption. Jesus came to reverse the curse of the fall, and we get to partner with Him in that work by caring for creation. Let me give you just a couple images for creation care. I think of creation care as leasing. How many of you, maybe you don't want to admit this, how many of you lease a vehicle? Just raise your hand. Nobody? One of you is kind of like, okay. Yeah, leasing. We're leasing the land. Uh, When you lease a car, say from Honda, uh, Honda owns the car. You don't. You're responsible for it because if you scratch it or you wreck it, guess who pays the piper? You do, but it's not yours. It belongs to Honda. It's the dealers. You're just leasing You don't own it. We sing the song, this land is your land, this land is my land. No, it's not. It's God's. He just leases it to us. We just steward it. Or think of it this way. Think of it like a retirement plan. Uh, We we get blessed with with resources, and we try to... uh, 
invest those resources and save those resources and steward the resources we have through our career so that we can just pass on, pay forward a little bit of it to our kids and our grandkids. That's what creation care is all about. It's stewarding the blessing of creation that God gives us, investing in it, caring for it, improving it, so that we can then pass it on to our kids and their kids and their kids. Maybe better than we got it. Let's look at it from God's perspective. Imagine, if you will, uh, owning a vacation home on Lake Michigan. Pure Michigan. Beautiful. And you know of a family with four kids that is in need. Both parents have lost their jobs. And they've got no income. And their house is foreclosed. They're homeless. You give them your vacation house. You say, stay here as long as you want, as long as you need, until you get back on your feet. Uh, Enjoy all the food in the fridge. Treat this place like it's yours, okay? Enjoy it. You can use the boat, go out on the water, Enjoy it. Now, now keep it clean and take care of it. But live in here like it's yours. Well, they get back on their feet in about six months and you come back to your vacation home and you see that there's water all over the floor. The floorboards have buckled. Mold is beginning to form that your kids will have to breathe in. The fridge has been left open. Now all the food is spoiled and your entire house smells like a junior high boy's locker room. The boat, your prized possession, uh, is scratched. There are cigarette burns all over the boat, beer cans all over the place. It is a mess. And you have to deal with it. That's neglecting creation care. That's looking at it from God's perspective. The human race, including the church, has not done a very good job of caring for creation. Let's just admit it. We've not. Our water is poisoned. Um, Land is destroyed. Species are dying out and garbage is everywhere. And the creation waits with groaning for her redemption. One-fourth of all deaths are caused by unhealthy environments. And creation waits with groaning for her redemption. 780 million people do not have access to clean water. And creation waits with groaning for her redemption. 100 million people die because of the pollution of air and water. And people who live in air-polluted areas are 20% more likely to get lung cancer even if they never smoke. And creation waits with groaning for her redemption. Deforestation decreases oxygen caused by the trees and increases carbon monoxide absorbed by the trees. Removal of trees and forests make lands uninhabitable for plants and animals. 
and creation waits with groaning for her redemption. You might want to sing the song, This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. True. But we ought to sing too, This is my Father's world. It's not ours, it's His. And even though we're only passing through, our children and grandchildren and great-children are coming right behind us. And the decisions we make now will determine the world they get later. That's why it matters. So I want to talk about, uh, quickly before we go to Q&A, seven uh, implications and then seven applications regarding this issue. Let me just throw out seven sort of implications of all this based upon my reading of Scripture uh, and what I know about the environmental issues that we are faced with. Number one, when the earth is exploited, a human will suffer. The same people who suggest that it's okay to exploit the environment for human flourishing forget that every time the environment is exploited, some human or humans will suffer. What am I saying? A good deal for you might be a raw deal for someone else. And chances are, uh, when the earth is exploited, the most marginalized people in the world will pay the piper for it. Number two, use in your need, don't abuse in your greed. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. It's His. He says, use it, don't abuse it. Number three, creation care is not political or liberal, but biblical. By the way, I want to let you know that if you are a political liberal, you are welcome at Lakeview Wesleyan Church. If you are a political conservative, you are welcome at Lakeview Wesleyan Church. And you don't have to decide to sit on the right or the left. You can sit anywhere you want, even in the middle. It doesn't matter. In fact, if a church has just one political suasion represented in it, then it's not safe for everyone. Four, be consistently and pervasively pro-life. I find it very problematic that oftentimes pro-lifers don't care much about the environment. And pro-choicers do care for the environment. I find those things very inconsistent. (laughs) Can we just admit together as a church that there is more to being pro-life than just being anti-abortion? Can we just say that? Pro-life entails being enamored with and committed to Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, so much so that we care for the well-being and the flourishing of all humans in all places and the environments in which they live and move and have their being. That's what it means to be pro-life, yes? Number five, our treatment of creation evidences love or hate for the Creator. That's a hard one, but I think it's true. And number six, this is a mouthful. Between the extremes of pantheism, which is idolizing creation, and um, exploitation, destroying creation, is stewardship, care for creation. 
I'm not suggesting we are to, to worship creation. Not at all. That's idolatry. That's pantheism. God is not in creation. God is outside of it. He's bigger than it. Um, nor am I suggesting that we just exploit creation. We've got to be stewards of it. And number seven, Jesus came to redeem the world. All of it. Wendell Berry says this, if God loves the world, then how might any person of faith be excused for not loving it or justified in destroying it? Ouch. Let's talk application. How can we practice creation care as a spiritual discipline? And let me just confess, as I've, as I've thought about what I can share with you, what are some baby steps we can take? They are, in fact, baby steps. I mean, anything we can do to undo the damage that's been done and get creation itself back to the garden again uh, feels like a drop in a large ocean. But remember, the damage has been done over time by millions and billions of people all throughout the earth. Little by little, that's how we got the mess we've got so to restore it, we'll take the same. What if all Christians, because of their love for God, practice creation care, little by little, over time, everywhere? Here are seven practices for creation care, real quick. Number one, be informed. I want to recommend a website to you, creationcare.org. It's a Christian website about the environment and what we can do to help restore it. A couple books I want to commend to you, uh, one from my friend, colleague, uh, Sandy Richter, Stewards of Eden, brand new, hot off the press, just read it, it's fantastic. Uh, Serve God, Save the Planet, another book, Care of Creation, published by Wesleyan Publishing House, another good book. Be informed. Two, reduce, reuse, recycle. Reduce what you throw away. Trash hurts the environment, plain and simple. So if you, and if you can reuse something, wash the plastic cup, reuse it, or the styrofoam cup, reuse it. We have a chicken crate in our house that we could have thrown away, but now it's a piece of furniture. I mean, try to repurpose things, try to reuse things to save the environment. And then recycle. It's amazing what can be recycled today. Not just cardboard and paper and glass, but batteries and bulbs and electronics. Everything can be recycled. In fact, as a church, uh, we are going to start recycling together. Uh, on those back walls, uh, on, the, on the, the, the beams there, columns, uh, there are bulletin cover recycle bins. So that when we're doing a sermon series where we're having the same bulletin cover all month, instead of reprinting and, and using more paper, we're going to stuff those in the little inserts uh, in the back, and we're going to do this together as a church. And I want to thank Dave Bellamy, who actually took the time. Uh, he's the artist in residence, the photographer in residence, the carpenter in residence. He, he does a little bit of everything. And I, I, I ran the idea by him uh, without thinking he would do it yet, and two days later, he brought them to my office. So he, he's, he works fast. So thank you, Dave. Let's thank Dave for making those. So let's recycle together. Number three, don't litter. <laughs> I remember hiking, a beautiful hike in Maine's Acadia National Park, and there was a patch of the hike, a portion where there was litter all around me, and I was ticked. 
How dare people who went before me litter the area that I'm enjoying on my hike? How dare they? Every time we litter, we're leaving a mess for those coming after us on the hike. Along with that, pick up trash. If you see trash at home, pick it up. If you see trash around church, pick it up. If you see trash at the workplace, pick it up. Don't say, oh, it's not mine. I didn't do it like my kids do when I say pick it up. They say, oh, it's, my, it's, it's Leah's. No, Zach, just pick it up. Pick it up. Who cares whose it is? Use less water, number five. This one's hard, right? Take a seven-minute shower instead of a ten-minute shower. When you're brushing your teeth or shaving, shut the water off until it's time to rinse. When it comes to using the toilet, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. (laughs) Number six, advocate for the environment. Advocate for the environment. Vote. Again, if you're going to vote, be pro-life across the board as best you can. Advocate for the environment, not because you're some tree-hugging liberal, but because you're a biblical Christian, that's why. And then seven, adjust the thermostat. Instead of keeping your heat at 72, put it to 69. And husbands all over the land said, amen. Instead of setting your AC to 67, keep it at 70. And wives all over the land said, amen. Just adjust it three degrees. It makes a big difference. Maybe you've heard of the great garbage patch uh, in the ocean. Put that picture up. Every year, globally, uh, we use 100 million tons of plastic. 10% of it gets to the ocean. This great garbage patch, there's different estimates. Some estimate that the garbage patch in the ocean that's almost entirely plastic, microplastics, even the size of a fingernail. Uh, 94% is plastic of this great garbage patch. Estimates are it's either the size of Texas or as large as Russia. That is in our ocean. That's been caused by centuries of not caring. Over time, Every person has contributed to that mess. How do we undo that mess? How do we face that monster? Every person. In every place. Every day. Doing what we can to care for creation. I said that some of my absolute best moments with God have come in the context of nature. Being face-to-face with creation, the beauty of it, without any man-made stuff around me. I mean, seeing, seeing a sunset not blocked by smog on a beach in Hawaii. Standing in Yellowstone River casting a dry fly to a rising trout. 
seeing a beautiful field of sunflowers out on a state road in Timbuktu, Indiana, or beautiful sequoias out in California. When I experience the beauty of creation like that, it induces in me a sense of awe and adoration and worship of God, the Creator. And I want my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and the children of the Sudan and Nigeria and Iraq and India to experience the beauty of creation in a way that induces their worship of God. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for the beauty of this earth. Forgive us for relegating the problem and the solution to the political sphere. We, your people, among all the peoples of the earth who believe in you and worship you and claim that we love you, we should be the most engaged in this issue. Forgive me, Lord, for ignoring it, avoiding it, being cynical about it. Help me to do, help us to do our part in redeeming and restoring this world you created and love. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, try to tackle a few of uh, your questions uh, before uh, dismissing. I have Pastor Zach up here to give me a hand. So when I get the really hard questions, I just defer to him. That's kind of how I do it. So uh, you are able to text uh, that number that was on the screen. That's also in the bulletin. If you have a question about creation care and the Christian's role in that, uh, feel free to text a question up there. We won't get to all of them, but we'll do our best. Yeah, we, we probably definitely won't be able to get to all of them because uh, this one, they, they just kept coming in and, uh, as I understand it, are still coming in. And so uh, we'll definitely have a few to tackle. Um, some of them will be a little bit of review, but definitely worth uh, the emphasis of going back through them, though. Um, so the uh, first one we received here, uh, isn't there a difference between political environmentalism and Christian conservationism? Hmm. I, I really don't know that I understand the question. I mean, if, if it's if it's about um, if it's about care of creation, if there's if there's a chance to do something good, uh, or if there's information coming out of the political sphere, say um, instead of viewing it with cynicism and avoidance because it, of, of the source, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You know, like like God can speak truth out of a donkey; He can speak it out of Al Gore, right? I'm not saying everything <laughs> Al Gore says is true or anything like that. I'm just saying politically, he's a Democrat, and so he's a donkey. Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, good. Um, That's why I'm here. So, yeah, so, I mean, we tend to, because we've so politicized it, we, we, we have run from it. Because, because what happened was that God's people ignored the issue, by and large. Not all Christians, but the church has, by and large, ignored a lot of issues, like the ones we've been talking about this, this month, even equality. And so the, the politicians, political parties have picked up the mantle, and, and then they go after it in ways that we wouldn't as the church. Mm. And then we criticize them for it. 
because they picked up the mantle in ways that we didn't, and then we criticized, you know. So I don't know if I understand the question, Zach. You can jump on that if you, if you maybe understand it. Sure. Um, I think it, it comes around to, and I love how you use that term pro-life throughout the whole thing. Like, the idea of pro-life has become such a political thing. Since when? When, when has that become political and, and not primarily um, God's concern? And so when I, when I saw that question come through, I thought of... Um, the big why, like, why do we care about what we're supposed to be stewards of? Why do we care? Um, and, and I know like, it's very easy to see that political side where people just go, Oh, we need to protect the environment. Okay. Well, ask, ask your why question. Like, why do we need to protect the environment? Are we just going, we need to make sure our water's clean or are we going some people that God made don't have clean water? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the difference between the two is that we care about what God has done and is doing rather than just having, having an agenda. Having, it, it's almost like a hobby on the political side. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to, to really genuinely care about life, I think, is probably the critical divider uh, between the two. Yeah. Um, so uh, next question. Um, in an effort to care for creation, is it possible that it could become an idol in our lives? How do we walk that line appropriately? Yeah. Any good thing, even, can become an idol. Ministry can become an idol. Mm-hmm. The Bible can become an idol. Uh, your spouse can become an idol. Uh, a burning issue for you can become an idol. If God is not above the issue or the person, um, then it's an idol, mm-hmm. whatever's up top. But if you, if you are driven to creation care because of your deep love and commitment to God, then everything's in the right place. In fact, I don't know that you can, again, as I said in the sermon, I said it strongly, and I'm convicted by this too. So realize that when I preach to you, I get it all week. I'm preaching it myself all week, and it hurts. <laughs> uh, I don't let the Word of God... Uh, go after you until I let the scalpel of God's word cut me first, and it hurts all week. Um, And I've been convicted this week because I have not done my part in creation care. And I, again, because I assumed it was a political issue, when in reality it's, it's, it's a love for God issue. If I love God, I will love what God loves, which means I'll love creation because, as you said, Zach, at the end of the day, caring for creation actually helps somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. If not now, then later. Mm-hmm. So that's why. It's out of love for God and love for people that I care for the, the land, the sky, the sea. Yeah. So, um, I agree. Let's, uh, let's keep moving. The next one is, uh, does biblical creation care imply that I must be vocal and stand publicly for it? Hmm. Yes. Yes, but, but not, um, not doing what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day where they put a yoke on other people they were not willing to bear. Some of us, and preachers are often guilty of this, we, we, speak, a, we speak a big bigger game than we walk. We, we talk a bigger game than we walk. And so if you're going to advocate out there and you're going you're gonna to lobby for, for environmental laws that will help people, make sure that in your house with your family or in your workplace you're actually practicing what you preach, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You can let your, your, your talk outweigh your walk, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I think, points back to the idolatry side of it. It's, it's become more of an idol than your own um, example of Christhood in, in, that, uh, in that case. Yeah, let me, and let me say that, too. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, 
we can be so irate in how we approach a social issue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been politicized. And even if we're on the right side of the issue, biblically, uh, we can sometimes, if I can say it this way, act like idiots in our uh, being vocal out there. Mm-hmm. So, so if people see us coming and say, here goes the guy who cares about creation and he's kind of mean about it, uh, that betrays my witness for Christ too. Mm-hmm. So don't be mean about the issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Agreed. Um, this one, this one's a little on the wordy side, but I think a very valuable uh, place to, to discuss here as well. Um, how can we be biblical truth promoters as Christians in our environmental advocacy in a society that has predominantly evolutionary or Darwinian views uh, that pervade much of the environmental thinking? That was a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, how, how do we? Uh, I'm going to see if you sent this question in and I butcher it, you know, you can, I don't know how many uh, pew Bibles you have close to you, but you can huck one at me if you got a good (laughs) arm. Um, But um, how do we show um, that Christ's touch is on this planet um, in a world that says he's not, that that says he's not there, that says that he's... um, He's, I've even heard disproven by science and nature and things like that. What's our response to that? Yeah, I, I think the question behind the question, if I hear it right, is uh, are we as Christians to align with people and call, uh, even people involved in causes that, with, that we agree with, but they come at it a different way. So they're evolutionary okay. and we're biblical Christians mm-hmm. who believe in creation. So can we lock arms with people with whom we disagree about God and the Bible for the sake of the world? Yes. Um, and in fact, I think it's for the sake of witness that we do it. If we're always drawing lines in the sand, keeping people who disagree with anything we believe out, we will never have influence in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to go into the world um, with biblical theological convictions and interact with people who don't share those, mm-hmm. even if it's on the same. So feeding the hungry. There are people who do, do not believe in God or the Bible who mm-hmm. care deeply about feeding people who are hungry. So do I. Let's partner together. And maybe I can influence them and nudge them toward the God who made them and knows them and loves them too. Yeah. I I see a a Jesus in the bar scenario where Mm -hmm. you you have a Christ who sat and ate with people who were tax tax collectors and drunkards and people that if you were to sit down and go, all right, write down your personal epistemology and then write down your personal epistemology, no, you guys can't interact. No, it it can't function like that. That's the antithesis of evangelism Mm -hmm. um, entirely. And so to be an advocate for what is good, even with people that you disagree with, bridges a gap to people you disagree with. And you can minister to them in that context. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, next, and uh, stop me if I keep. Yeah, let's we'll make this far. one our last one. Okay, I still have like <laughs> several to go. So, um, this is a good one, though. How does the church's problem with consumerism connect with this message? Go ahead, Zach. <laughs> oh, how how does consumerism connect with this message? We uh, have we have. Okay, I mean, let me just offer. Oh no, a quick if you want it. No, no, I really, I really don't. But. Um, the church in America, anyway, has, uh, has promoted busyness and consumerism, and we have not emphasized rest and Sabbath 
and spiritual renewal enough because we've, we've, we've so busied people in the church with activity, uh, which is a part of consumerism. If you're busy and you're consuming, by golly, you're successful and you're American. And, 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 and I don't see that in Scripture. I think, we, I think the church needs to, needs to do less better mm. and give people Sabbath and space and rest. And I think be wise in our stewardship of our environment here. Mm-hmm. Um, and make choices at times when, you know, <laughs> Christian's going to get mad at me about this, but like, uh, we, we might have $10,000 in our savings account and we can get new monitors, which we need. Like, we need a new sound system in this building. Okay. So if you have $50,000 you want to throw away, you can give it to us and we'll, we'll, we'll use it. Um, but let's say we had just $10,000 and there was a chance to uh, uh, pay the mortgage or pay the electric bill for five families in our community whose electric was going to be shut off, or they were going to be homeless, or we can get brand new monitors. What should we do? Again, it's, it's being pro-life in mm-hmm. all areas. And I think the church has often made decisions with our money, if I could say that, and our use of time and programming that have betrayed our commitment to pro-life issues. Mm-hmm. That's a strong statement. It needs unpacking, but I'm just going to leave it there. Sure. I, I, and I would say, I mean, and this is, this is going to be a whole new can of worms, but I, I like fishing, so I like kicking open cans of worms. Um, I think when it comes to the consumeristic mindset of, of somebody who would say, I am a believer, we are hoping, hoping that us showing up to church and us you know, having a little silver fish on the back of our car is testimony enough. And that, at that point, we had better hope that our environment is intact. Like the, the person, again, pro-life, the person that you chewed out in the restaurant, the abuse that you put on your waitress, um, the person that was taking care of your, your pharmacy prescription that you um, really just gave a hard time to, you better hope that they see God in a sunrise mm-hmm. because they're, they're not seeing your testimony there. And so the, I, I want to say this word, and I, I wish that we had more time to, to play with it, but... Um, some Christians are so deeply entitled to their consumeristic tendencies that they forget to testify about who God is. We, we forget to take care of nature, which testifies about God on its own. We forget to do all of these critical testimonial and evangelistic things because we're so wrapped up in, I mean, even the silliness of, of I showed up to church, but, you know, worship didn't strike me the same way. It's, it's, it's a consumeristic mm-hmm. yeah. entitlement yeah. Yeah. that is robbing the world of real Christian testimony. Yeah, how we go about worship is, is a great case in point. You know, mm-hmm. is, is worship for me based on my preferences or for God based mm-hmm. on his? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's a great question.